I think it's an easy way out for us to just lobby the government and kind of put it all on them. But I think the thing I've just learned all my life is you can't rely on others to make things happen. We had to increase our salaries uh, quite substantially twice. Twice last year. Uh, yeah, I think one seven percent to one ten percent. Sixty-one percent of employers, according to the Sodexo study that I read earlier, are looking at potentially hiring ex-offenders in the coming year. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. A few weeks ago, we explored the HR challenges that all hospitality businesses are experiencing all over the world. However, in the UK specifically, there was an acute staffing crisis. British hospitality businesses are struggling more than ever to fill vacancies. Part of the problem is that the UK hospitality industry has been hit by three successive waves, each deeply impacting the status quo. First was Brexit, leading to a generation of Europeans leaving the UK. Second, COVID created an existential shift in hospitality professionals seeking alternative career paths outside hospitality. And now the UK is in the grip of a major cost of living crisis, partly the result of COVID, but also the war in Ukraine. And so in this episode, we're exploring how UK operators are finding solutions by speaking with Jacob Goodison of Joe and the Juice, and Max Dubiel of Redemption Roasters. And now to start by getting a very high-level perspective of the UK staffing crisis, we hear from Mark McCulloch of Hospitality Rising. Mark is a brand marketing guru with years of experience in the UK hospitality space. During COVID, Mark spearheaded a media campaign to promote interesting careers in hospitality, especially within the 16 to 30-year-old age group. Following success, Mark transformed Hospitality Rising into a digital platform with recruitment services and a job board. You've set up an initiative called Hospitality Rising. I wonder, Mark, if you could tell us about that initiative. It was during COVID and it was one night, it was the 6th of May in 2021, and a tweet came through. And it was from David at Brewdog, the president then, who's now at Stonegate now. And it said, this crisis is coming. And I think we've always been short of chefs, but we've never really been short across the board. And then because there's no foreign people coming in en masse, actually the British public is kind of beneath them, right? Mm. To work in hospitality, they're, they're too posh to pull a pint. So very simply put, it was... How could we change perceptions for the better for UK nationals to want to work in hospitality? Mm. And really, our muse was, are maybe the best, but for hospitality. What's the real problem you're trying to solve? I would like hospitality's reputation to mean that it was a valued job or a career. When people are thinking about what they want to do with their lives, could we get to a stage ever that hospitality would be in those top five choices? Mm -hmm. So the positives for working in hospitality are the money is actually pretty decent. You know, there are people working in lower level 
back of house jobs that could be getting, you know, 30 grand a year with their trunk and their, their tips and all these things. Also, it's really a never boring place to be. You know, like every single day is completely different. So if you don't want to sit in an office and you don't want to answer to some middle manager, you know, when you're sitting in a cube somewhere in finance, this is definitely the career for you. And then I think the biggest one is that you can't go further faster. So for example, when we've been doing our research or we've been talking to the superstars of hospitality, the kind of under 30s, we interviewed one lady up in Scotland and she's 23, 24 and she's running a £2 million business. But what legal profession would you ever be in that position? I don't know if there is one. So you mentioned these benefits of working in hospitality. At the same time, you realised there was a chronic hospitality staffing shortage. How did Hospitality Rising aim to fix this problem? So long term, how could we change perception? How could we appeal to the under 30s? When we did the research, we found out that only one in five people would consider, not even want to, consider working in hospitality. It's a terrible statistic. So it was just a very, very basic brand problem, which is how can you get one in five to one in four to one in three to one in two? So with the campaign itself then, it being a brand campaign, we got lucky. So there was an organization called the IPA, the Institute of Practitioners for Advertising. And they said, we've got a program called 10X and we think you qualify for this. So we're going to give you £350,000 worth of free creative help to crack this problem. So what then happened was they gave us 10 of the best agencies from around the world to work on this for free. And I'm talking Ogilvy's top people, VCCP's top people. So what happened then was they came through and said, right, we're going to give you Google and Amazon's lead creative agency to do the creative. And we're like, mm-hmm. great. And then they said, we're going to give you Rory Sutherland, who's one of the top behavioral scientists in the world to work on it. Excellent. And then the kicker was, how would you like the Army's recruitment brand team who's done the most successful campaigns in the last 10 years to work on it too, to do the insight. Mm. You're just like, wow, this is incredible. So that was the team that did it. So the, the insights we got to were, it's never boring working in hospitality and you can't go further faster. So we went after under 30s who were in entry-level jobs now. And then the results were, um, so far, I mean, it's not even a year yet, we are at about 175,000 application starts. We are one in three, the considerations moved to. We've reached over 50% of the UK 16 to 30s at least once. 79% of people under 30 said it would make them want to work in hospitality. So with everything you've learned in this process, What else can you share with us about how to hire the next generation of hospitality professionals? I think that the way people are living their lives in terms of having maybe a side hustle, I think the younger generation are a little bit more open to those more flexible contracts, you know, know, zero contracts and all that was demonized. Actually, I think it will flip that the 
employees have got the power and they say when they work. And, you know, so I think we're going to have to handle that. The other biggest thing actually is 80% of people under 30 that we interviewed said they don't want to apply through an application process, through an ATS, that that's how everyone does it because it's the way it's always been done. But just because it's the way it's always been doesn't doesn't make sure it's right. So what do you care what school they went to? Mm. All you want to figure out is, does this person have, you know, good personality? Could you spend a couple of hours with them in a traffic jam? Yep. Do they look like they want to serve? Do, do mm. they look like they're, they're willing? And that's about it. So we get a lot of flack uh, now and again saying, oh, the people that you've sent us through aren't quality. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We do have a finite audience in the UK. And actually, it's your job to teach them. Mm. So if you're wanting to wait until the finished article comes through the door, that's not what Hospitality Rising is about at all. Hospitality Rising is about getting people to switch from what their plans were or the job that they've got to come into hospitality, probably with no experience. But then it's our job to train them. And I, I was on a panel the other day at Open Table and Trevor from St. John was on another panel, and you know, the amazing restaurant St. Yeah. John. And he said something beautiful when he said, as a leader, have you got the generosity to teach? And if you don't, I mean, you never said as much, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, you know, you, you shouldn't be running a business. So you've got to ask yourself every morning, do I have it in me? Do I have the generosity to teach? Mm. So if you're losing people hand over fist, I think you've got to look to yourself. Right. It's not the people coming in's problem. The other thing I would say is we've also got to get wise to Gen Z and, and how they want to do things. Because I saw an example a few months ago and this chef on Twitter was going mad about someone that had written an email to them to apply for a job. And all they did was write in the top subject line, have you got any jobs going? That was it. Mm. And he was going mad going, for oh, kids today, well, you know. And it was like, you're thinking about this all wrong. Mm. The fact that that person has written in is a start. And mm. actually, if you're being smart about it, you're going, that's quite productive of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not spend half an hour on an yeah. email. They're just banging them out. Mm. So you're like, actually, we need to think this differently. And also, how can you apply for a job in under 30 seconds? How can we rip up this Jurassic application process? So how can you apply through WhatsApp, your smart speaker, Tinder style, swiping, and, and, and. Mm. And that's something we're working on right now, yep. Hospitality Rising, because we've got to, because the recruitment industry and HR, if we're not careful, certainly Hospitality HR, is in danger of being the new Kodak. Mm. So if we don't match what kids want, and it's not to be disparaging, mm. but the younger generation wants, we'll be outdated. Now, this is going to sound a bit contentious, but mm. the UK has, in my view, engaged in some form of self-harm with Brexit, certainly for hospitality. We've now mm. just alienated tens of nationalities Lots of people who can't actually come to the UK anymore in a working capacity without lots and lots of paperwork. And also send a message out to the whole of Europe that we're not an attractive, open-minded place to be. And there was a flow of European hospitality workers 
is not the solution for the UK to make some kind of a fast track for hospitality workers. It would be, but I think the thing I've just learned all my life is you can't rely on others to make things happen. Mm. So I think it's an easy way out for us to just lobby the government and kind of put it all on them. Realistically, I think they'll help in some way. I mean, I think there's talk of Australian visas and stuff. And then I think there is some chat about, you know, you can do sponsorships and these kind of things. But I'm just a great fan of controlling what you can control. And I doubt we're going to get this backdoor, everything was the way that it was Mm -hmm. deal. So as I say, for Hospitality Rising, we just kind of thought, well, what can we control? Well, we can try to change the perceptions of the people that do have the right to work here and take it from there. At the same time, we seem to be competing with so many other industries in the UK. Our hospitality industry is competing with companies that are allowing their workers to be very, very flexible, i.e. not even have to show up for work. There's a lot of digital working. Is that something that the hospitality industry is really facing as well? So I think the beauty of working in hospitality in a venue is that you can arrive fresh and you leave with nothing else to do, mm. right? You're done. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you've, when you've finished, you're finished. Yeah. And I quite like that about it, you know, rather than being constantly being on. So let's turn to the recruitment side of Hospitality Rising. How does that work? We, we built a very, very simple job site mm-hmm. and we were kind of inspired by the Amazon checkout process because there's nowhere else to go but buy the thing. Mm-hmm. And also just Google simplicity of just having the box and that's it. So literally is in the true sense of the word, a massive list of jobs yeah. and that is about it. And I think the conversion's been really good because it is so simple. Mark, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's clear from my conversation with Mark that we as a hospitality industry must work harder to understand, empathize, and work with a new generation of young job seekers. We need to offer simpler hiring processes and be clear about the great benefits that a career in hospitality can offer. So now let's get an insight into the staffing challenges facing major global coffee chains operating in the UK by speaking with Jacob Goodnison at Joe and the Juice. Joe and the Juice operates 70 stores in Great Britain and employ 1,200 people. Jacob began his career 10 years ago in Oslo as a part-time juicer and now heads Joe and the Juice's UK operations planning. Welcome, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Is there a staffing crisis in hospitality from your perspective? When I moved to UK a year ago, it was definitely a hectic period. Yeah. A lot of companies competing for the same staff. Yeah. I would say from our perspective, it has been it's stabilized a lot the last months. That's at least on the hiring part. And then you can say in staffing in general, we have a very high employee turnover. So now we're really working on retention initiatives, how we can retain our Mm -hmm. staff. So Mm -hmm. the issue doesn't really lie in kind of attracting and recruiting sufficient or enough staff, but more kind of keeping the staff we welcome to the business. What sort of level of churn do you see, do you experience? 
before the pandemic, you know, we had to churn on 120% of our workforce, average workforce size, which doesn't really make sense. You like you hire 10 and you lose 12. So it doesn't really yeah, add yeah, up in yeah. a sense. So that's really where we're focusing now. And we're actually forecasting this year to be below 100, mm-hmm. maybe even towards 90%. So that would be huge to improve that with 30% compared to before the pandemic and, and also last year. So, so before we get on to this retention and the key ways to retain staff. Let's step back and still think about recruiting people. You're a big business now. And obviously, I remember that very first London store in Regent Street, and it was <laughs> a bunch of guys, you know, just recruiting their friends and, you know, you getting the tattoo or, you know, et cetera. It was, it was a very fun era, but obviously it's a very large scale professional business today. Definitely. So what, what are the keys to getting the numbers of staff through the door that you need? That traction part hasn't really been an issue f- for yeah, us. So yeah. I think that also goes hand in hand with the brand, how that is perceived, our presence on social media. It's a big pile of people applying. Yep. And then, of course, the challenge comes into selecting the right people and selecting okay. the right talents. Are there any particular types of jobs that are harder to fill than, say, mainstream frontline staff? In challenges in general, we are very proud of our focus on internal development. Yeah. So, such as myself and a lot of other mm-hmm. people in the company have started as a juicer yeah. coming into the company and are now in different key positions within the organization. So, the majority of our staff that we hire are entry level staff. That must mean a fair bit of training. What does the training program look like at John the Juice? So essentially, when you're entering the business, it's a very structured training program for you to become a qualified and more productive yeah. employee. And then for people who are interested, people who show the passion, the interest, and also that's a good job, are then being offered opportunities, either you know management positions, you now started with the barista positions where yeah. you specialize in coffee making, Becoming a trainer, if you're really good with people and onboarding people, you can become part of the training team. And now recently, we have a high focus on uh, management leadership training programs, programs to kind of build our next generation of leaders. And, and, and once you've brought them in, filtered, trained, what are the next steps in keeping people loyal to your business? <laughs> That's the, the challenge, really, I yeah. think, yeah. Of course, you know, there's some elementary like pay and benefits Like yeah. you need to offer a competitive package. Secondly, you know, it needs to be a fun, engaging work environment. You need to enjoy your job. It needs to be challenging, but you also need to succeed. You need to have the right support. And then thirdly, what I want to highlight is what we call the culture. Us trying to offer something more than just a nine to four, nine to five job. What changes have you seen in terms of staff in terms of their requirements, what they're wanting now compared to maybe 10 years ago. What is the core hospitality worker at Joe and the Juice looking for out of a business like yours? It was easier finding people. It was probably uh, more challenging for uh, people applying for jobs to find a job as well. Mm -hmm. And now over the more recent years, it's kind of been a job seekers market. What we have been looking for hasn't really changed that much, at least from a more personality and uh, values perspective. But then, of course, as we are scaling and opening a lot more stores, it's also more difficult to constantly find people that are always happy, that are yeah. always, you know, either have experience or uh, want to contribute their best to the company. Yeah. So I think 
that also comes with scaling and opening so many new stores. How do you think expectations might have changed? I think at least the expectation to flexibility has changed a lot and something that we really see people really don't necessarily want to commit to a fixed rota. Ah. They want more flexibility in, in their life and prioritize their hobbies, interests outside of work. So that's definitely something we need to adapt to in our way of scheduling and, and planning. Pay-wise, cost of living crisis is a big one. How have you had to respond to pay requests? You can only offer so much. No, it was uh, especially looking back at last year, that was a hectic period all the way through the pandemic, actually. You know, the national minimum wage didn't keep up with the cost of living crisis. Every month we actually went through competitor entry-level salaries just to see if there were any change. And every month there was at least one or two companies that had either uh, increased entry-level salary, implemented some sort of a bonus structure. Uh, And ourselves, we had to increase our salaries uh, quite substantially twice. Twice last year. Uh, Yeah, I think one 7% to one 10%. And this year? This year, we had another another increase that we timed with the effect of the new national minimum wage in April. So then we had an increase, we're paying slightly above the national minimum wage right now. And now it seems to calm down, stabilized a little bit also with other companies. So one final question, what do you think the entire hospitality industry needs to do to be able to make hospitality an attractive sector here in the UK? Historically, the hospitality sector, at least I have the impression that that's been looked at as a kind of temporary job. I think it's important for hospitality businesses. They have a great need of, of, of they need a lot of skilled people. Mm-hmm. So to really work on, on the attraction, on how to promote opportunities within the industry. And um, as we have in Jonah Juice, more focus on position outside of necessarily the direct operation, but you know, that you're able to do a degree in finance and then continue in our headquarters in the yep. finance department, for example. Right. Then I think it's about creating attractive positions, fun, challenging positions, Mm -hmm. really uh, elevating the game of the managers is something that we are focusing on doing, Mm -hmm. giving managers more autonomy. I think in a very franchise-dominated business can be a lot of centralized control. I think giving more autonomy to the people in the stores, making it a more fun, challenging, Mm -hmm. more responsibility, I think that's important. Jacob, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. It was fascinating to hear that Joe and the Juice's hurdle in the UK hasn't been the lack of applicants, but rather an elevated rate of staff turnover. Their solution includes aggressively raising salaries and communicating the many opportunities for career progression within the firm's global network. But above all, they're focusing on building a great team culture. Finally, we speak with Max Dubiel, co-founder of London-based specialty coffee chain Redemption Roasters, the UK's first prison-based coffee company. In 2016, the UK Ministry of Justice approached Max and his co-founder Ted Rosner about setting up a roastery in a prison to train residents and reduce reoffending. Since then, Redemption Roasters has grown to 10 retail sites, employing 135 people, of which 20% were former inmates. Welcome, Max. Thank you for having me. This episode is about the hospitality and staffing crisis that is quite evident out there. 
are you employing people from all walks of community or, or is it specific focus just on former prisoners? Both. We do find that a really important aspect of rehabilitation is having a good split. So at the moment, our split is around 80% regular you and I from the community and 20% prison leavers and those at the risk of crime. And so would you say your business is experiencing difficulty finding enough qualified staff to work in your cafes? Yes, we do see the same problem as is evident in the rest of the industry, Um, especially senior roles. So we find management positions are difficult to fill and chef positions are a lot more difficult to fill. I think the times just in the wake of COVID where people are really insecure and switching jobs left, right and center are over. There was a time when people were literally switching jobs because they could earn 50p more an hour somewhere else. Those times are over. Certainly for us, we have rethought our own uh, recruitment and retention model. And uh, that has really helped us retain our staff, which is the most important aspect of HR is retaining good staff. Mm-hmm. And whether that be career building models to make sure that every barista has the opportunity to join head office roles or roles in the roastery. In the last three weeks alone, we've promoted two people internally to more senior roles. And then also general health and well-being, making sure that your staff is supported, is heard, throw a good party every once in a while. And that ultimately keeps people as much as a salary. What are the solutions for making sure that we, as an industry, that we have enough staff who are motivated, want to work in our industry and want to stay for a period of time that would make it commercially viable to run a business? Top level, I think there's a lot of lobbying to do that politics realizes the struggles we're in, we're all facing, and whether that be us as the coffee shops or the fine dining restaurant operators or the pubs, um, we will see so many casualties on the high street to the detriment of all of us and to the detriment of communities. And one aspect that gets discussed very often is VAT. If we can agree on a VAT reduction for hospitality businesses, that will add straight to our bottom line. And that will make businesses that are currently really struggling to make a living able to pay their bills and to pay fair wages. People are the most important asset that we have in our industry. And therefore, we need to make sure that we pay them well and that we can attract the best talent. You know, for any people wanting to get in and open their own coffee shop, potentially, what's the sort of ballpark labor cost that someone setting up a coffee shop would expect in terms of the percentage of, say, sales before VAT is added? I think a figure that makes sense across the industry is if you stay under 30% labor spend of your net sales, you've got a business. Anything over that, you will struggle to make a profit. And best-in-class operators, if you look at a Pratt or a uh, Starbucks, they operate uh, in the 20s, 22 25% labor spend. But this is branded shops with high average ticket sales. And potentially a bit of automation and potentially some very, very streamlined systems. Yes. And the really important aspect of what we're doing and what we see in the industry is automation without taking the theater and the wonderful experience of chatting to your barista and talking about your coffee and talking about your coffee experience away. So what about the people strategy? What are the solutions there? Offering good career paths is 
a, a very important aspect. People don't just want to stay in the same role forever. They want to develop their career. And so offering a, a really good career development plan, which is what we do with all of our staff from junior barista all the way up to HQ level and roastery roles. Then looking after people's wellness and making sure that they're heard, that there are points of escalation if they feel they, they cannot speak to their direct line manager. There's a good HR procedures in place. Making sure that teams are built and that's a good culture uh, that people actually like coming to work. They make friends at work, especially in hospitality. It's so important that kinship, uh, working alongside people you trust, you like, that you hang out with after work is a really important aspect. Is there a role for a more inclusive industry, perhaps encouraging people older than in their 20s back into the workforce, perhaps with a lot more flexibility, maybe just doing a few shifts? So age or actually a lot more part-time, are these some of the solutions? Absolutely. And we've done a major push in making sure that our management teams are experienced. Some of them bring 10, 15 years of, of experience with them, and that's a huge asset. And fair enough, somebody may not be quite as quick on TikTok as somebody in their late teens, but they will understand the process of customer service, customer flows, inventory management systems, because they've done this before and they've worked in the industry. But of course, because we're redemption roasters, hiring ex-offenders and hiring people more generally from disadvantaged backgrounds is a huge asset. And not just because people are more loyal and very grateful to have this opportunity, but also because you can tell that story. And we do it. We do it shamelessly. We, we do a lot of good. We help a lot of people. We turn a lot of lives around. And it costs us money. I mean, we, we employ a, a social impact team, social workers, but we're turning it into our advantage by making us an attractive business to all the stakeholders involved. That is staff that is investors, that is landlords, and really selling that story of, of employing someone who may otherwise not have had a chance. 61% of employers, according to the Sodexo study that I read earlier, are looking at potentially hiring ex-offenders in the coming year. That's the stat to be proud of because it's a development, but it's certainly not where this country needs to go. I think people need to realize that ex-offenders are a great workforce and it's the right thing to hire somebody who's a prison diva. And uh, it can be a great asset to your business. Mm. And no doubt you've had a few success stories. Yes. To this day, I regularly receive a WhatsApp from one of our beneficiaries. And they will say, uh, just been hired into a new role in a coffee job up by Oxford or yep. uh, somewhere where we don't have any direct involvement. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. They wouldn't have had this path had it not been for us. And uh, it's a great feeling. So I'd imagine that in the hospitality world, there's some reluctance to hire prison leavers. Can you talk about that? I would say that a lot of people may have a reluctance to hire a prison leaver because of the trauma they may have experienced, because of being institutionalized. And those are all very right and fair concerns. We had concerns ourselves in our early days. I still remember a week before we hired our first ever graduate when we were still at one shop in 2017. And we thought, oh God, what's going to happen? We could have a violent incident or theft. None of this ever happened to this day. We've not had one violent incident or an incident of theft. But of course, uh, if you're dealing with vulnerable people who come from prison, 
you will have challenges that you wouldn't otherwise have. Tardiness is a problem, a mental health at work. Generally, the housing situation, whether somebody's got stable housing, it makes a huge difference whether they will reoffend or not. And these are all factors that, of course, you as an employer need to bear in mind. It's a challenge, but at the same time, if you can get it right, and with the right sort of support, we have social workers who have an understanding in this field, who have done trauma training, they do trauma training with all of our managers, who know the right housing charity to call if there is a problem, and then it is definitely something you can handle and you will reap the benefits multiple times over. What an amazing business model and what an amazing cause. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. Max's experience echoes what many hospitality businesses are facing. There is a shortage of quality staff, especially managers and in particular chefs. But like Joe and the Juice, Redemption's solution has been to focus on staff retention and creating exciting opportunities for internal progression. To beat this staffing crisis and appeal to a new generation of UK job seekers, hospitality leaders need to communicate the key message from Hospitality Rising's campaign. Hospitality is fun and never boring, and career development can happen really fast. And the final piece of the puzzle is developing and maintaining a powerful team culture. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or give us a five-star rating. And to stay informed, visit worldcoffeebottle.com to access all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter sharing the breaking news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song, in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project, is Sun and Rain by The Grove. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and develop that great team culture.